Welcome to Flower Hour. A podcast completely dedicated to baking. I'm Amanda in Los Angeles. And I'm Jeremiah in Sacramento. Welcome to the cookie episode with Rebecca Firth. She's the author of the recently released cookbook, The Cookie Book, and creator of the blog, Displaced Housewife. In the middle of the episode, there will be a special short interview with Flower Hour fan Sarah from the blog, Really Into This. If you'd like to win a chance to talk to Amanda and I on Flower Hour, follow us on Instagram for details of our next competition. And now, all about cookies. Rebecca, why do you think cookies are so loved? I mean, they're popular to eat and to make. I have very strong feelings on that. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's because um, cookies can really satisfy sort of any craving or occasion. I think it's a very flexible baked good in terms of like satisfying cravings, but also they're very accessible no matter what your baking level. So you can be a very beginning baker and go in and make yourself some really delicious chocolate chip cookies. That makes them, I think, very loved. Um, And then I think um, you can also really give them jazz hands and make them exciting and different and do something new and play around with flowers. And I think that's why everybody loves a good cookie. I love this term jazz hands that you use. I noticed in your book, it's in there. And like, I have to tell you, like literally as I was reading through it, I would read all the jazz hand recipes and like hold my hands up and like do my jazz hands. Cause it's like (laughs) red velvet macaroons, like, or or, uh, Madeline's is like, Oh, jazz hands, like such an exciting term. And it gives a great visual for the, the excitement of the recipe. It's very cool. Well, I often think before I even started on the book, when I would work on a recipe for the blog, I would be like, what can I do to give this jazz hands? And (laughs) and that's why I was like, I think I need a jazz hands chapter. Absolutely. It makes me smile too, because so much of baking can be very precision oriented and very serious and precise and to have that playfulness. And I think cookies do lend themselves that way. It's, 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 It's a big smile. I definitely like to have fun. And I hope when people read my recipes or my blog, I hope they're, that it's putting a smile on their face or giving them some joy in their day, you know? Absolutely. You totally achieve that. Yeah. I, every recipe I read with a smile for sure. And that's not always the case. Sometimes it, it makes me feel a bit bogged down. Some of other recipes I'll come across, not that they're not great, but the vibe is very happy and playful and joyful. So I love that. Um, so with cookies, I feel like most people start to love them when they're very, very young. And I'm curious, yeah. what's your earliest cookie memory? Um, my mom made a lot of snickerdoodles growing up. So, and my dad is not a big chocolate person. And so um, she would typically make cookies for him. And then we would, you know, enjoy the fruits of our labor, (laughs) but they were typically not a chocolate based treat. So I would say snickerdoodles um, followed by oatmeal, like a classic oatmeal raisin cookie. Very classic. Deliciousness. Yeah. We always had cookies in our house growing up, like constantly. 
Did you have a cookie jar? This is like a random question. I always see cookie jars and I have a cookie jar, but I've never kept cookies in a cookie jar. Did either of you guys do that? I'm not a cookie jar person. We had one growing up, but I like to put my cookies in um, like a clear glass lidded pedestal, like a cake pedestal. Because I just think it looks so pretty and inviting. That's gorgeous. Absolutely. I'm thinking, oh, I need to do that too. <laughs> that's, what, that's what we do in our house. It's just a little dangerous though. Because then with them sitting there and you're looking at them, it's like, I just keep grabbing. But I guess that's the idea. What I mean, you make the cookies to eat them, right? <laughs> They're good for you. I think cookies don't have calories. oh god i wish um we had a cookie jar and my mom is a wonderful baker but her cookies were always pretty i remember them being pretty crisp or on the crunchier side and she and she had this trick of putting a piece of bread in with the cookies and it would soften them and i would always be getting that piece of bread to soften them because i wanted soft cookies like you would get in the grocery store so is it like all the moisture from like I'm picturing a slice of Wonder Bread. Exactly. Yeah. My dad worked for Wonder Bread, so we have plenty. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, congratulations on your cookbook, the cookie book. It is so fun to see the excitement that is being received um, all around it. What was the process of creating that book like? So um, I had actually been working on a different proposal that, like, the year prior to starting work on the cookie book. And then, um, and I really labored over it. I think my agent was like, what is taking you so long? <laughs> and then um, I was one week away from finishing that proposal. I was so close. And then um, the publisher um, of the cookie book reached out to me and said, would you be interested in writing a cookie book? I was like, 100%. I love cookies. And it just sounded, and it all fell into place. Um, so I think it was a pretty, I actually, I don't know. This is my only book experience. So for me, they were just like, we want you to do it. Come up with like your table of contents, what you would want chapters to be, what you would want the recipes to be. And it was basically like fantasy. You know, I was like, these people want me to create a book on cookies. I could do this probably for the rest of my life. What a dream. It it felt like a dream. I was like, this is so exciting. (laughs) Um, And then just coming up with them. And then I submitted sort of like um, three of the first three recipes for the cookie book. And they said, we love them. And then they were like, we love the photos as well. Will you do the photos in addition, which made me really nervous. But I was like, I'm just going to jump in and say, yes, I can do this, even though I was not totally sure I could do it, you know? It's so ambitious. I like I think it makes your book very unique and even maybe like your voice becomes stronger in there, but very cool, super ambitious. Yeah, it was nerve-wracking. I mean, I'm just going to be completely honest. I didn't even really know how to save a photo as a tiff, you know? That's how much of a rookie photographer. I think everything that I've done has been on instinct. So I had to learn more technical, the more technical side of photography, which has been really fun, but definitely added um, like another layer of difficulty to the whole thing. Did you say to save it as a TIFF? Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know that makes me sound like such a rookie. So I'm just being totally honest. I really like I had I had like a steep learning curve. I had to, you know, 
No, I was asking because I literally have never heard that term. So you are, you know, rookies advanced over here. in my mind. Yeah, <laughs> we are true rookies, man. <laughs> and they were like, well, you have to size it to these very specific specifications. And I was like, everything I do online is with pixels and it's very flexible. And it's just such an easier world for me to get a photo online than it is to prepare something perfectly for print. It's so inspiring, too, because usually you as the writer are trying to convince a publisher to take on your book project and you're trying to convince them to let you do the photography. My understanding is usually they want other people that are like famous to do it. So the fact that they asked you to do all that and I mean, that is so cool. It was pretty exciting. I mean, it still is exciting. I still look at it and I'm like, wow, this is my book. I did all of this. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, congrats. Thank you. Jeremiah and I both love how strategic you are with the different flowers you use in your cookies. And we'd mm-hmm. love to know more about your flower selection process. Like, how does that come about? Do you start with a flower, develop a cookie, or do you have a cookie in mind and then choose a flower? It really depends on my vision for the cookie. So, um, you know, sometimes I'm inspired by flavors. Sometimes I'll see something and I'll be like, I want to create that look, Um, you know, and it might have a different flavor profile. Um, I almost always like to put bread flour in my cookies in a small, um, not always small, sometimes it's like in equal parts to all purpose flour. Um, I love the chew that it gives. Um, a cookie. I love the structure it gives a cookie because I'm not a fan of a super thin cookie. You know, I like to be biting into something. Um, and then one of the flowers I really love to use, but I don't. I think I only used it in three or four cookies in the book. Is white whole wheat flour. Um, that's a that's a cookie or that's a flower that I will reach for if I want to go for texture. Um, it adds like some nice warm coloring to a cookie because I don't want my cookies to be bland, you know. Um, and then it also the flavor that you get from white whole wheat flour I really like, but you typically won't see me use like an all bread flour or all white whole whole wheat flour because it would just become too dense. Um, And then I love taff and I love dark rye flour. Um, I think dark rye rye flour is just magical with chocolate. I'm so with you. How did you come up with the proportions? How did, was that a lot of testing to figure out the ratio of bread flour to all purpose? You know what? It was a lot of testing. Sometimes I look back on how much I tested each recipe and I'm like, I don't understand how I didn't lose my mind. But um, I would, I would start out saying, oftentimes I would do half and half, or if I'd be like, I want this cookie to be a little flatter then maybe I'd use you know, 25% of it would be the bread flour. Um, And then I would just kind of play around with it from there. But then there's so many variables that you can get into, especially because aesthetics, how the cookie looks is important to me. So um, I would get into, is it going to, with this type of flour, that balance of flour, will it look better as a two tablespoon cookie or a three tablespoon cookie? And will it work better in the top third of the oven or in the middle? You know, so then once I get my flowers, that sort of balance, right, then I sort of see what else I can futz with to make it the end product, what I want it to be. 
I like that you kind of gave us the order a little bit there of like you get the flower ratios right and then figure out what else you can fuss with because it's so tempting to start with like playing with more chocolate or more salt or those kind of things. But the flavor, the flower, if that's not right, like the other things are not going to fix it. So yeah, like you got to have the structure. The structure has to be really the right way in a cookie. And then I start playing with all the other variables. I'm sure people will ask you, well, can I just make the cookie without the bread flour if I don't have it? You know, and this is what I always say. If I have, I, I probably haven't tested it with all um, per- just 100% all-purpose flour, just because that's not the type of cookie I wanted to make. Um, and I'll say you can go ahead and do it, but you'll you're gonna get a different type of cookie. It will probably spread more. It will probably be crispier and thinner. So the appearance won't look like mine, and it will taste different. But if you're like open to embracing that, <laughs> then knock yourself out. <laughs> And then your all-purpose flour, is it a bleached or unbleached flour that you like to use? I use unbleached. I mean, I would say, can I say brands or not? Yeah. Okay. So I am, um, like, with my my bread flour, my white whole wheat, um, and, and my all-purpose, I'm a King Arthur flour loyalist. I just find for consistency, it's a great product. Um, and then when I tend to go into my specialty flowers, like my teff and, and my um, dark rye flower, then I usually jump into Bob's Red Mill. But wait, did I answer the question? <laughs> yeah, you totally did. That's really helpful to know because I would have reached for bleached and it's good to know that you, you go all unbleached so that I want to create what you create. Yeah, I know, you know, there was a whole section in the book that talked about what was in my pantry. I've kind of been wanting to put it on my blog, but we got, I am a little wordy, I guess I've learned in, the, in um, publishing my book that I, I maybe give more uh, descriptions in my instructions. And so they were like, we have to cut something. Um, and I didn't want to get rid of any of the recipes. So we cut what's in my pantry. It would have been nice to have shared some of, I guess, the rationale of why I choose different things and exactly what ones I'm using. Oh, that, that, well, it'd be great to see it on your blog. It's, that's very helpful. But I'm with you. I would not cut a recipe. No. God, <laughs> I like sweat and blood through these things. Like, yeah. I don't want them cut out. Well, we have another ingredient focus question. Um, we've noticed, and one of our Instagram followers, Yoga of Cooking, wants to know that you. We notice you use neutral flavored oil like sunflower oil in addition to butter in many of your recipes. Can you tell us more about that choice and how it affects the final product? Yeah. So, um, and I do get asked this one a lot. I do like to include some oil in my cookies typically because of the soft factor. It really does make the cookie, the end resulting cookie softer, which is important to me. Um, I usually reach for sunflower seed oil when I want a neutral oil because to my palate, I find it to be the most neutral. Like it does not impart any flavor. Whereas sometimes if you grab like canola and vegetable oil, they kind of gross me out. And I feel like you can taste some weirdness in them. 
I'm totally. Sometimes yeah. it almost tastes like it's been fried or like a exactly yes. like fried chicken comes to mind, and that's not oh, a God. cookie taste. <laughs> no, and so I really I just find that there's no flavor that's left over from sunflower seed oil, um, so which is why I picked that. And then obviously I love a good olive oil. I think. Olive oil is delicious with chocolate. It works really well in cookies. I think I use it in maybe two or three cookies in the book. Um, but that's when I want to have like some, not only the texture, that softness, but I also want that flavor, like a little bit of fruitiness imparted. Oh, yeah. I love that. I totally agree that it's super neutral. Amanda, how excited are we to make the olive oil chocolate chip cookies? I'm dying for that one. Like that one just shouted off the pages at me. I loved the way that cookie especially like ended up looking. Um, it is a thinner cookie. Um, I love the little like crevasses, <laughs> if you will, in it, the crevices. And then um, it's thin, but it's still got that nice chew in it. And it's like a softer cookie, even though it's a thin cookie. I love it. Gorgeous. And I'm such a, like, we've just talked about like the neutral oils, but then if you're going to have one with flavor, I'm such a fan of olive oil. Like the flavor with baked goods is so cool. It's just a great combo. I agree. Okay. So we got a question for you from J.R. Blaylock on Instagram and he wanted to know, or she, I don't know why, I just assume that's a guy, J.R., but it could be a girl. Um, mm -hmm. What are your favorite ratios to use for recipe development? And I know we talked about that a bit with flour, but was curious, like maybe with flour to fat or flour to sugar, whatever ratios you would be willing to share. I have to be honest with you. And I've heard other bakers, they talk about very specific ratios that they follow. I don't. So I like, and I feel like I have enough base recipes that I sort of will look at it and say, so how much, what is, what are my wet ingredients in here? How much fat am I using? Um, I don't think of it in terms of ratios. Does that make sense? I'm so, so I with you. Yeah. Yeah. So I, my brain does not work that way. So I might, I always map out like this is what I, and I write out a recipe, what I think I might want it to be. And then when I'm in the kitchen, sometimes I'll be like, this does not even feel like enough butter. I'm going to put two more tablespoons in there. Um, and then I write notes and then I, so I have like, um, you know, word doc after word doc of my updated recipe based on um, each test. Does that make, am I being clear? Totally. Yeah. That's literally how my brain works. Like the idea of a big chart of uh, ratios makes me feel like running the other way. It's just not my personality. So I very no. much relate with that. Yeah. Yeah, that's an that's a good question. I think it's probably just people that approach baking um, from maybe a different side of their brain, or they operate differently. I took your book to my grandmother yesterday, and she loved it. And so I said, Grandma, do you have any questions for Rebecca? And my grandma comes from a time period where shortening was very popular. <laughs> and so she wanted to know from you, what contributes to cookies either spreading or keeping their shape? And I know she's thinking about butter versus shortening. And if you can speak to that, great. But I, I know you've kind of even said maybe it's flour. Well, for me, it's um, a lot of it is flour. So um, the I think it's the dry to wet ingredients for me. That's kind of how I look at it. 
And then I also, so I might have created a dough. Like, let's say I love the way the cookie tastes, um, but it's just spreading too much. But I don't want to futz with the flour or anything like that anymore. I'll see how it performs after it's been in the fridge for, say, 24 hours. And the flour's had a chance to absorb some of that moisture. And sometimes that's all it takes to make it so that it won't spread too much. Um, and then another thing I do, if I find, I mean, I'm sort of like answering, but not answering the question, <laughs> <laughs> but I suppose I'm talking about how I handle things that are spreading too much. Another thing I will do, like if I'm like, I love this cookie, I don't want to change it, but it's spreading too much. I'll cook it in the top or bake it in the top third of the oven at a higher heat to sort of blast it. Um, instead of doing that 350 middle of the oven, like slow spread. That's a great idea. Yeah. So that's why I tend to like, I tend to test in both of those ranges. But as you can tell your grandmother, I still think that there is a place for shortening. I don't put it in my cookies, but I will put it sometimes in my cookie fillings when I want to get like an Oreo vibe or something. Yeah. And that will really help that filling stay nice and set. Yeah. Um, yeah. So shortening. Yes. <laughs> we don't hear that very often. <laughs> Thinking about the cookies spreading too, I just wanted to say, because because I make so many cakes, my mm-hmm. intuition when I'm mixing anything is to cream the butter and sugar and get it like super duper fluffy. And mm-hmm. I noticed that I was doing that like to the extreme with the cookies and then I bake them and they spread so much. And when I stopped doing that and just mixed it until it was combined, that changed mm-hmm. it a lot too. So just in case cake people are listening, don't get too crazy with the butter and sugar unless the recipe tells you to. So I know. sometimes it's so fun though, just to let that go. Oh, it's so like the pleasure of it is, you know, almost <laughs> worth the spread it out cookie. <laughs> exactly. Color transformation. Hmm. Satisfying. All right. Okay. So I kind of got lost in cookie land. Let me, um, where are we? Oh, okay. So we were both super curious about your time in China, how that inspired your baking and curious if that's where your mooncake recipe in your book came from. It honestly inspired so much of where I am now. It's kind of unbelievable. So even the name Displaced Housewife came up. Um, uh, so I'll just refer to my former husband as the person formerly known as my spouse. So we were still married. He got a job in China. This was right before the Olympics. And so, you know, what? I my daughter was born, but my son wasn't yet born. But I was like, in Desperate Housewives was really big then. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be the displaced housewife. And I had this idea <laughs> that I was going to like write a book while I was there about my experience with my two young kids in China. But if you don't speak Mandarin and you move to China, it's a pretty crazy time. <laughs> so writing a book wasn't, you know, I didn't really have time for that. So, but what I did have time for, especially that first year, I think when you move anywhere, you don't really know anyone. It's a weird transitional getting used to your new environment. I baked like a crazy person. Sometimes it was, I mean, whenever my, by then I'd had my son. So he was like a, a wee little infant. And whenever he would nap, I was making cookies. I was literally giving them to anybody that I could give them to. It was, I think of it as like therapy almost. 
I mean, I became known, I think, from my friends there when we would have a party, like I would always do the desserts. So from that perspective, it did really influence it. As far as my mooncake obsession, I have, um, and I don't want to offend anyone from Asia, but I'm not a fan of the taste of traditional mooncakes, but I adore the way they look. And so I was really on a mission. I love to use the molds, but I like to do them in, I call them my honky mooncakes. I like to make our, my white girl mooncakes. Like there's something that would appeal to a Western palate, you know? I'm dying. That's so funny. <laughs> a mooncake, by the way. <laughs> totally brilliant. Cause you're right. They're gorgeous. I went to school in San Francisco and they would, you know, I'd see them all the time and I never even thought that these should be innovated into something else. What? I mean, it's brilliant. Yeah. So I just, they're so beautiful. And, um, you know, my former husband would get so many for work, you know, around the um, Mid-Autumn Festival, and he would bring, like, boxes and boxes and boxes of home. I would, like, literally have a bite. No, this isn't working for me. <laughs> I was like, I really want to make this into something that, you know, tastes delicious to me. For our listeners who don't know what a mooncake is or what your innovative flavors are, can you kind of describe that? So a mooncake is, um, it has like this nice, delicate outer layer um, that they make relatively thin. Um, and then inside, it typically has, um, sometimes it has a salted uh, egg yolk in there. I mean, people love that. Um, it has, why am I blanking out right now? There's usually I, like a red bean, right? Yeah, red that's bean. what I was thinking, the paste. Yes, I literally have lotus seeds in my cupboard that I haven't used because I was like, I'm going to make a real one. And then I'm like, I really don't want to. But I still have the lotus seeds to do that. Um, and so that's what a traditional one is. Now, like everybody from Godiva to haagen makes mooncakes um, in like a flavor palette that would be have more worldwide appeal. Um, and then my mooncakes... Um, I tend to like the first one I ever made, I looked to, um, like paleo balls, you know how they use like date and cocoa powder. Um, cause the interior of it needs to have some good structure or it's going to go in the oven and it's just going to melt. So, right. um, so I made one with dates, chocolate. Um, I feel like it might've had cranberries and five spice powder. Yum. Yes. Maybe yeah. there might even have been some type of a nut in there. And then I have the sugar cookie mooncake in my book. And that one is more of a um, white, like that has a white chocolate base to it. It's actually, I think it's really yummy, but you know. <laughs> yeah. My grandma and I were reading through that one and we were like, that sounds good. Sounds so yeah. good. So good and so pretty, like without that um, classic shape, like you really can't get that somewhere else. It's 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 mooncake or not, you know? Yeah, definitely. Have you guys made mooncakes? I have not, and and now I actually want to, but I've the ones I've had have had the red bean paste, and I'm not a super big fan of that. It just doesn't do it for me. So now I feel like, oh, there's a place for me in this mooncake landscape. Thanks to your there's, book. <laughs> there's a book for you there. <laughs> I haven't made them either. I am the weird one. I'm obsessed with red bean, but um, I'm excited to try all these flavors. 
Wow, I'm I'm impressed. I feel like maybe I need to give it a, another chance or something. It's interesting. Chinese pastries are very precise looking, and they, to me, they look so good, but they really shy away from the sweetness. I think that we as Americans embrace. Right. So I'll take a bite of something that looks really glorious, and I'll be like, "Oh, this isn't um what I'm used to." I just I think I tend I'm drawn to things that are sweeter. I read something somewhere about familiarity with flavors and how that predicts whether or not you like something. And I, I forget the exact number, but it was something like 10. It said, if you taste something and you don't like it, if you make yourself not, you know, 10 bites in a row, but over different occasions, there's hardly any flavor that you actually will not like because liking something is very linked to feeling comfortable with it. So I'm like, maybe I just need to eat 10 mooncakes. I don't know. (laughs) That sounds like a project for us next October. (laughs) (laughs) I also was exposed a lot to red bean through Filipino food and their food, their desserts are definitely sweet. They have that more European influence in their culture. Um, So that could be a a place if you wanting to dip my toe. Yeah. Yeah. They, they definitely will sweeten their pace a little stronger or they'll use the beans in other ways with other components. Um, but yeah, that's how I got my red bean fix Mm -hmm. or start. (laughs) I'm going to have to try that. Make a more sweet introduction to it. So, okay. Well, there's a good starting place for anybody wanting to try red bean. Um, so Rebecca, we'd also like to know, we talked about how your time in China kind of jump-started you into baking in an intense way, but also what else inspires you now, you and your recipes? Um, I would say, I mean, I'm probably going to give an answer very similar to other people that like to bake. Um, I am influenced by the seasons, um, what's growing. I am a gardener, which I don't really like shout out to the world, but like I have nine planter beds. I think I have like a dozen fruit trees. So like what's growing in my yard will often influence what I'm baking with. Um, of course, like on Instagram, there's so many talented people on there. I still remember seeing, um, is it Alexandra Stafford, right? Alexandra Bakes. I don't. We're about to be all quiet. Sorry. (laughs) No, that's fine. I I vividly remember. I think it was like four years ago. She did this chocolate babka. I feel like I could sketch it right now. I saw that and it just imprinted in my brain. And then I was like, I must make babka. And I ended up making like a chocolate espresso one because I was just so so. Sometimes the visual of what you see. Um, really inspires me to go, well, what could I do with that? Are there other flavors that I could employ? Like I, but I want that specific look. Um, I would say that those are like, and then sometimes just even looking through a cookbook and seeing savory, um, uh, like different flavor combinations they use. I'll be like, I wonder if I could pull anything into my baking from there. Absolutely. You thought you were going to give a typical answer, and I think that was actually incredibly interesting. So there you go. Great inspiration. Yeah. For me, you continue to inspire me to try new things. And I just, there's so many things, like when I saw the contest posted, that I was like, oh, I could post this or this or this, because there's so many things that you guys talk about and so many other baking people that you've introduced me to that have just 
they just, you guys just inspire me. So I just want to thank you. Oh, well, gosh, this, this is why we do this. And this means so much that what we're up to is resonating with you and that we can, we can have this conversation with you. Exactly what you said, Jeremiah. I'm like, she just summed up like why we do it. So (laughs) I'm glad that that's coming across. Thank you so much. Made our day. Tell us how you started baking. So I started baking as a child. My mom would bake for Christmas, um, mainly sugar cookies, chocolate chip cookies. My grandmother baked. My other grandmother always made Texas sheet cake, and she made meat pies at Christmas. So I just grew up around it and then would always help out any chance that I could. And so as I grew older, I just kind of wanted to expand my repertoire a little bit. So I just, that's when I started seeking out like more cookbooks, more internet tutorials. Um, and I just, am, I'm always working on what am I going to try next? What am I going to do next? Um, and so I think about you, Jeremiah, the technical king. I remember oh, when you hello. were on, <laughs> I remember like, I don't know if it was when you were on your season or if it was on the podcast, but I just remember like that coming up in conversation and you're like, well, I always try everything at least once. Like (laughs) that way you can say like you've done it. Right. So you can relate. Yes, for sure. (laughs) And then you build this, all this, this library of knowledge. It's great. Exactly. Exactly. Now I'm curious, just before we get into more baking stuff, I know you have your blog really into this blog and I wanted you to have the chance to hopefully tell our listeners what it is that you do so we can kind of, celebrate you a little bit as well. Oh, well, thank you. So yeah, I started the blog really into this uh, probably a little over two years ago. I initially started it very quickly. My best friend from growing up, she, I kind of reined her in to be part of it. But basically all of my relationships in life, I, you have a common interest with whichever person, like you guys, your com- one of your common interests is baking. So you guys always talk about baking. And so I have all these people in my life that I'm like, I need to tell this person about this TV show or this person about this book or this person about this baking podcast. And so the blog just became a place for me to share all the stuff that I'm really into, which is true crime podcast, baking podcast, baking tutorials, all sorts of books, you know, music, just TV shows, whatever it is. So it's just a place to connect with people who have shared interests. It's funny you said true crime podcast because I've noticed this trend. I keep meaning to post about it on Instagram. I swear bakers love true crime podcasts as well. Like anything about crime, I'm like, what is this correlation? Why do bakers love it? I mean, and I'm right there with you. So obviously no judgment. I'm, I'm 100% into the crime podcast, but why do you guys have any guess guesses to that? My only thing is I feel like bakers like to be prepared. (laughs) 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 So I feel like bakers, like, I feel like, yes, there's artistry to what we do. Like, especially like you're always inspired by art, Amanda, but like, I feel, you know, we follow a recipe, we know what we're going to get. If we alter the ingredients, we know it might change. So it's like, to me, that's the true crime stuff that I like is I'm like, I want to be prepared about who's out there. I want to be prepared how this person survived. So I feel like it's, it just eases my anxiety a little bit to know like what's out there. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. That makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. I think you might've nailed it. Yep. So what are you baking this week? 
This week, I'm actually trying out some, um, like, some more royal icing decorative type stuff. That's something that I did a while back, and I was not very good at it. And so I have since um, sought out people that know a lot more than I do. And so I've, like, read up on some tutorials, got some extra baking tips. So I'm going to try that this week. So wish me luck. <laughs> oh, I'm with you. That is that is hard. It, it is, is very hard. So it feels like it's doing... one of those like b- segments of baking that it's its own thing. Like you could never bake anything else and be a cookie person and you'd still have plenty to do. It's one of those topics. Oh yeah. Yeah. For so sure. what tips are you excited to try? Um, well, just kind of a different icing recipe and a different cookie recipe. This cookie recipe, a sugar cookie recipe that I'm trying evidently doesn't have to be chilled, which is, you know, I'll give it a shot. Yeah. And so I've got a bunch of Halloween um, cookie cutters and um, got some new, a different brand of gel colors. So I'm trying to just get all my, get all my ducks in a row here and we'll give it a shot this weekend. (laughs) No, I haven't done it in a while, but I remember using meringue powder instead of actual egg whites. Which way are you going? I'm going meringue powder because the last time I've done it both, I've, I've done it, I've tried it both. But the last time I did it, I just did the egg whites and it was just, it was just a mess. And so this new recipe, she's like, use meringue. This gal, oh God, I should have had her name for you guys. Um, I can send it to you. But she's got all sorts. She's got a blog that that's like one of the main things that she does. And she's just got all sorts of tips. So that was just like a treasure trove of information for me. Is it Sweet Ams? I feel like I'm always drawn to her when I think about cookies. Oh gosh, you know what? It might be. I will have I will have to look it up. I just have it. I had one of my friends who like does it for a living, and I you know messaged her and said, "Can you give me any tips? I'm not trying to become your business competition. I'm just trying to <laughs> figure out how to make them with my kids." Uh, it's Sweet Sugar Bell. Ah, okay. All right, we'll check so it for out. Good tips. Yeah. Check out Sweet Sugar Bell. All right, so when you're not baking sugar cookies, do you have a favorite thing to bake? I, I love cakes. That's I mean, I love cakes. So that's why I'm always I'm always looking at your Instagram. I'm always inspired by you. You helped me out with the uh, using the dehydrated strawberries. Um, so I made a cake for my dad's birthday this year, which was kind of a play on his I was gonna say centuries old. He's not that old. <laughs> it was he's always had a cake with pink icing because that was the color food dye that my grandmother had over had left over from Christmas. So he always just had a cake with pink icing. So this year I made him one with like fresh um, hood strawberry jam, and then I used your tip for the dehydrated strawberries in the buttercream, and then tried out some rosettes, which I used another one of your tips to practice them on like a half sheet pan, and then just scrape it, put it back in the bag, practice it, scrape it, put it back in the bag. Isn't that a revelation, like to be able to practice and not worry and just kind of feel very free for a bit? Did it make it easier, I hope, for you? Yes, it made it so much easier because it's like so much pressure when you've got that cake iced and like, here you go, you're starting. So it's, I had, it's just little stuff like that, that I don't think about and I don't know any like professional bakers. So I don't like you getting tips from you guys, from other people that you've met and people that you interviewed, it just really helps me. And like I said, it just really does continue to inspire me to try new stuff. Yay. Well, 
jumping off of that, what's your favorite flower hour episode or interview that we've we've gotten to do? There's so many. Um I I loved the episode that you guys did that was like kind of holiday traditions, but the person that was on it the most I have to say was Southern Fatty just because I loved the idea of his, I I hadn't heard of him. And so I'm now in love with his blog and his Instagram. And um, I'm from the South. I live in Portland, Oregon now, but I'm from the South. And I just, I just felt a kindred spirit in him that he made those little Debbie Christmas cakes. (laughs) (laughs) We love him too. And he's going to be back this season. We're going to have him back. Oh, yeah, I'm so excited. But I really I love all the episodes. But I, I love that one in particular, just because he tries new stuff. He just goes at his own pace, tries to keep it stress free, which I love. Me too. Oh, it just melts my heart. I have to circle back really fast. I'm like, terrible about circling back. But I love I that love you that. said your dad has the pink frosting every year because that's the dye his mom had left over from Christmas. I just think that's so precious and what a sweet thing and such a mom thing to do. Just like making whatever you have work. And like, I don't know, like I always focus on like the love that goes into baking. And I just had to say like, that is just precious. It melts my heart and such a sweet thing, such a nice thing to share about your family. Oh, thank you. I will tell my grandma and I will have her listen to this. (laughs) (laughs) She will love that. She will love that. Amanda, do you want to ask the the final question? Yeah, before we send you on your way, we must ask our classic flower hour question. If you could bake for anyone, dead or alive, who would you bake for and what would you make for them? Oh, gosh. Well, I'm sitting here at my computer and I'm looking up to get a question and to figure out an answer for you guys. And I'm looking at a giant picture poster that I have framed of George Michael, whom I love. So I would have to just pick George Michael and I would bake, uh, gosh, I would just bake a layer cake. I have no idea what kind, but I would love to meet him and sit with him and pick his brain and just tell him how much I love him. What recipes are you excited to see people try? I mean, I know you've already been seeing, just watching your Instagram stories, tons of people are trying things. But yeah, what would you like to see people make? I have to say, it's really exciting seeing people make things from the book. Like, I don't know that that will ever get old. It's just so, and it's so fun to see them having success with them. It makes all that hard work and sore feet (laughs) worth it. Um, One of the recipes that nobody has tried yet that I really want to see someone try are the um, Sarah's, the Sarah Bernhardt cookies that I made. Um, do you guys, those are in what page I've got the book. Okay. I'm trying to get you there. Okay. It's page 134. Okay. Do you see it? Yes. Okay. Mocha Sarah's. Okay. Okay. They are a magical cookie. So when I was growing up, I grew up in Long Beach. So down in Southern California. Um, But my grandparents and aunts and uncles, everybody lived in the San Inez Valley. So we would spend every holiday up here and we would always go to the Danish bank bakeries and solving and Sarah's they always had Sarah's. They were like my most favorite thing to get. I could 
probably put away a disgusting amount of Sarah's. And so now that I live here, I was like, I think I have to put a Sarah in the book. They look like they might be complicated to make. They're not complicated, maybe just more time consuming than obviously like a drop cookie would be. They are so delicious. Okay. There's our project. (laughs) Oh gosh. Almonds, chocolate. Oh, this is, sounds really good. And I have to say the other thing is that it's um, accidentally gluten-free. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody actually pointed that out to me later. I was like, oh, hey, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> I think those are the best gluten-free desserts, actually, too, That the ones that are accidentally gluten-free. You didn't do a big workaround or change it. It's just they're great, and voila, they're gluten-free, and it's cool. I would agree with that. It's really good. The one thing I do regret is that that photo doesn't have like a bite out of one of those. So you could see that buttercream on the inside. Oh yeah. That would be cool to see. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Next time. (laughs) (laughs) I love that someone's wearing a Batman shirt. (laughs) That's my son. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) That's so funny. It cracks me up. So I really tried to make it so it was equal between my daughter and my son, their hands in the book. And this is one of his favorite cookies. So I was like, all right, you're up. (laughs) And he was That's so special that it's them. Yeah, it's all my kids' hands in the book. And then um and my son, it like literally, I think he rolled out of bed and was wearing his Batman shirt. (laughs) But I was like, I were I think it's cute. Makes it so personal. Yeah, I love it. The Batman shirt's a dark background, and Fine Spun Cakes would like to know what tips do you have on shooting food with a dark background? So, for the book, what I did was um, off of my dining room, I have this really, this big window that gets nice morning light. And then I closed every other window down that hall and every door to make it dark back there. And so that you just have the light coming in on what you want to shoot. And then the background is dark. Sometimes I'll use a black backboard, but I just don't think it works as well as just having like that, that natural black space is just a softer and it doesn't feel as closed if that if, um, if you can picture what I'm saying. So for me, it's like have light coming in a window and then just blacken. If you can find a spot where you can blacken everything behind that, that's how I get that look. That's a great tip. Yeah, it's a great tip. Cause that's, I mean, such a challenging thing. Like almost everybody just goes for as much light. I feel like as possible without glare, maybe, um, I don't know technical photography at all, but yeah. And so that's a great way if somebody wants to add some darker photos, it sounds uh, completely reasonable and approachable. Um, Okay. So another listener question from Instagram, Chloe, Sarah Marie would like to ask, do you have any high altitude tips? And says she's at 7,000 plus. And every time I bake cookies, it's hit or miss. Um, I wish I did. I have to be honest. I've never lived at a high altitude, so I don't really have, can I be honest about that? That makes me feel like a bad baker. (laughs) 
No, I'm right there with you. What about you? I mean, Amanda, do you now have any advice? I mean, I should because I lived in Denver and Salt Lake City, both very oh, right. high altitude, but I was not baking then. I didn't bake at all. I have a slightly funny story that my, um, so my mother-in-law lives in Utah and she came to our house. We were living in Virginia. It was very much like a sea level baking situation right after I had my daughter. And she was like, well, let me make um, this lemon cake for you. It's really good. It sinks in the middle. You pour the sauce in and it's like just great how the sauce soaks in. It was kind of a sheet cake and like similar to a lemon drizzle, but not as much structure as that. So anyway, she bakes the cake and it didn't sink at all in the middle. And she realized then that that the whole reason it was sinking is because she's at such high altitude and it was possibly not even part of the recipe in the beginning, but it made it great. So um, that's not a tip. It's just a funny story about how things sink. But um, no, I don't have any tips because I didn't bake at all then. But so if you're a bad baker, we're all bad bakers. But (laughs) (laughs) when we were auditioning for the Great American Baking Show, we had to go do a a live audition in LA. And the bakers that I got picked up at the airport with where we became instant friends. And one of them was living in Denver and she was so annoyed by the whole thing. She's like, I'm going to actually move away from the city because I can't bake here. Everything is crap. <laughs> and I thought that, wow, that's, that's how much you love baking. I, that's pretty cool. <laughs> wow. But also fascinating that the impact is that strong. Yeah. I, it scared me. Yeah. That makes me nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we have a kind of funny listener question duo at Cloudy Kitchen and Brian Hardhoffen want us to ask you about blood flour, but we have. <laughs> yeah, they were asking because I always say that it adds girth to a cookie. And um, I did that when we, I said that when we were doing, um, we were trying to do a live and then he just started busting up. He's like, you are not allowed to use that word in reference to a cookie. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's why they wanted to know about bread flour. Cause I say it gives a cookie girth. <laughs> I think it's appropriate. <laughs> Makes sense to me. <laughs> All right. So um, we wanted to ask a little bit of advice from you for us and for our listeners what advice would you have for someone who's just thinking about writing a cookbook? I mean, I think working on your proposal is such an amazing process um, in terms of like really narrowing down what you want to do and your focus and getting your voice out there and really painting a picture um, of, of like painting your vision so that somebody else can see what your vision is. I obviously haven't sold a book with my proposal. So that's just what my gut would tell you. I've gone through the process up until that point. I would say just really putting together a kick-ass proposal. And Heidi Swanson has like a great, like a couple blog posts on putting together a book proposal that I think anyone that wants to write a book should go look at. Have you guys looked at that? I haven't, but I'm going to. It's great advice. It's amazing and it's inspiring. And every time I think of it, I'm like, I want, it makes me want to just devote like months to putting together a beautiful proposal. Cause her, her thing is you really want them to see exactly what it is you want to create. 
What advice would you have for starting a blog? Um, I think you just got to jump in and do it. I think you shouldn't. I think sometimes we overthink things too much. Um, I say you come up with a name that like interests you, purchase it, get yourself, you know, WordPress or whatever format that you want to use. And even if you don't know how to get a photo on there or take a photo, like you'll figure it out. There's so much information out there. Just, I think you just need to start doing it and learning and making it happen. It sounds like great advice for so many projects. Like just jump in, just do it. (laughs) I do think that's like life in a nutshell. (laughs) All right. So we're not too far from the holidays now. And we're curious, what cookies are you planning on making for the holidays this year? Um, for, I mean, obviously, I will do like your standard sugar cookies because I love decorating sugar cookies with my kids. Um, you know, like typical cutout decorating, even though they're older now, you know, I think we still like to do that. Um, and then I'm obsessed with anything molasses. I love molasses. Um, ginger really speaks to me. Um, and I, I didn't realize until I was like, at, honestly, towards the very end of the book process, I was like, I have so many sort of molasses ginger combination <laughs> cookies in the book. I was like, I hope that's okay at the end of the day. <laughs> but um, so things with those type that flavor profile, and I love to um, bake this time of year with five spice powder. That's something I've, I've never really baked with. Have you, Amanda? No, I feel like did I feel like somebody on the show used that? Did did Courtney use that in a cake or something? I don't know. That was it seemed vaguely familiar, but I think you're the first person I consciously recall doing that. So it's very unique to add. It was really um I mean talk about like holiday flavors with jazz hands. <laughs> Literally five spice powder in a nutshell. And it goes really well with all those flavors I was just saying. It goes great with molasses, with ginger, cranberries, it's amazing. Um I can't think of more holiday flavors right now, but if I was going to start creating something special for the holidays, I would try to figure out how to work five spice onto the scene. Speaking of spice, I'm looking at your spice brown butter muscovado sugar cookies. That sounds really good. Those are and I've never I know I know about muscovado, but I've never actually used it. What's it like? Okay. I want you when we're done with this, (laughs) I want you to get yourself some because your life is about to change. (laughs) I think it is such a magical ingredient. Um, so it's an unrefined sugar. It never had the molasses taken out of it. So from a taste perspective, it has lots of molasses, um, and I would say caramel flavors to it. And then from a texture standpoint, it is, it has the consistency of wet sand. So it's going to change the flavor and the texture of whatever you're going to bake with it. Um, a lot of the flavors I just said that I love for holiday baking are great with muscovado. Muscovado is great with, I make a, um, a banana bread with muscovado. Oh my gosh. It's so good. Um, you really need to jump in there. 
It's, yeah. it's, it's an, ex, I will say it's an expensive sugar, but if you really want to do something like make something extra special or dazzling or just like really wow people, I think that's like a sugar that I definitely turn to. And even though I said it's good with all those holiday flavors, it is magnificent in the snickerdoodles and like a chocolate chip cookie. <gasps> Amanda, have you used it? I have. I, I love that like really deep flavor sugar. So anything that has that deep flavor, I just am super drawn to, but I'm like, I'm sitting, like I'm sputtering because I'm sitting here. I'm so hungry. And then that <laughs> banana bread with the Muscovado sugar, it just sounds like the way banana bread should be. So I'm just sitting here. I don't know. My mind's going crazy because I'm getting so hungry. <laughs> I, it was funny because I just dropped my daughter off for, you know, to school before we got on here. And for some reason on the drive home, I was like, I wonder why I didn't do my overnight banana bread cookie with Muscovado. And I think it was because I wanted, I didn't want people to have too many specialty ingredients for something that would be normally like an easy, everything's in your kitchen recipe. Does that make sense? Totally. But yeah. I, I would love to try that recipe again with Muscovado. I bet it would be really good. We can do it. <laughs> we should do it. My grandma pointed that one out too yesterday. She's like, that sounds good. So That was a really fun one because um, I made it so many times and I was like, I love it. I love the concept, but the banana flavor wasn't as like strong as I wanted it to be. And literally sitting the dough overnight – let those banana flavors really just um, penetrate every ingredient in the cookie and it just amplifies it, that fridge time. It's, it was just so interesting to me what, how, what a big difference it had on flavor. Was that a surprise or did you kind of know that might happen? It was an accident. I think what happened is I was a little frustrated with it and I shoved it in the fridge and was like, I can't think about this cookie for another second. And then woke up in the morning and was like, okay, now I want to deal with it. And then I made them and I'm like, oh my God, they're so much better. <laughs> so that, that, that one was like an accident, like a really pleasant accident. I love those. I wish they happened all the time. I know. Those are the best. <laughs> all right. So now you've gifted the world the cookie book. And just like any great accomplishment, everybody then comes and asks, what's next? So <laughs> what's on the horizon for you? I feel like there's something wrong with me because I turned in the manuscript and I think we had like pretty much finalized everything with it. And I was already thinking, and I mean, I just felt like I looked like somebody had dragged me behind a truck after I finished it. <laughs> I was tired and worn out <laughs> and felt like I was a thousand. And then I was like, this is what I want my next book to be. So <laughs> I would love to do, I mean, I feel like I have, I, there's five different books I could think of right now that I would want to do, but two that I'm like obsessed with. Are they secret? Is that weird? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, that's exciting. I, I think they might be a secret right now. <laughs> Keep it a secret. I think that's I think a great tease. Now we're all going to sit and wonder what could these two books be? <laughs> yeah. I think they're a secret right now until I, I'm not even, I haven't even worked on the proposal for either one of them because I was like, I just want to give the cookie book like the life that it deserves. And then I'm thinking after the first of the year, then you know, my reserves will be replenished and I'll have the energy to just dive into it. 
Yeah. And I think there's something magical about keeping something secret. And if you tell, then that kind of magic leaves. And yes. you've got to keep that in in for yourself. Yeah. So that's I would love to do that. And then also, I mean, I'm, I really love blogging. Um, I, en- I find it really gratifying. If I haven't posted in a while, I find I get a little antsy. And then I'll, I'll do a blog post and I'll just be like, yes, that's what I was missing. So um, I'm definitely not somebody that's like, I'm done with blogging. I need to move on to bigger and better things. I really hope I, it's always a part of my life somehow. Well, we want to ask you our classic flower hour question, Ooh. which is, if you could bake for anyone, dead or alive, mm. would it be and what would you bake? You know what? I think it would be, I mean, this is kind of funny, but Nigella, I love her. She's so amazing. Like I'm a bit of a fangirl about her. So I would probably want to bake for her. And honestly, I really think she'd like my, um, my Muscovado banana bread. Oh, yeah. I love that answer. I love when bakers want to bake for bakers. I think it's really cool. Yeah. And she just seems like such, I just have always fallen, like her cookbooks, you just want to cozy up and read them cover to cover. Um, I love her voice. It's so strong. And the way she writes her recipes, I think, just think, um, um, I don't know. I would love to meet her. I bet she's amazing. And wouldn't it be amazing to hear her describe your um, banana bread? I mean, she, the way she talks, <laughs> like you said, and then she just uses all those adjectives that yes. no one else uses. I mean, to have her describe something you had baked would be pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that would be um, pretty surreal. Sometimes at the end of an episode, we think we're saying goodbye, but we keep chatting about baking. And Rebecca had some awesome tips to bring up about cocoa powder. So here is your bonus all about cocoa powder. So um, I'm obsessed with dark um, Dutch process unsweetened cocoa. Are you guys fans? Yes, Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Okay. So I was very conflicted in terms of the leavening, like that leavening situation, just pairing it with baking powder. Because again, I think most people have just regular um, unsweetened cocoa and they're not thinking of which leavening will match up. So I ended up making it so that I requested that cocoa, but then included both baking powder and baking soda so that anybody would be able to make that recipe. Cause I think if you're just a casual baker, you might not know that the consequences could be not great. Would you agree with that? Totally agree. I would, and I, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's really smart to include both ways for, for people who, uh, you know, depending on what you have. Yeah. So I was a little nervous about that. That was one of those like judgments that you sit there at home alone and you're like, is this the right decision to make? Or is it going to appear weird? But that was one of the things that I was like, I sort of want people to know. I realized that when you use the Dutch process, you're only supposed to use, or you only need to use the baking. Yeah. So um, the Dutch process, which is more popular and readily available in Europe, has um, been alkalized, right? I'm, I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yes. Alkalized. 
So the acids have been neutralized in it. So it wouldn't react with the baking soda. That's like the technical thing of it. Did I, is that a pretty good description of it? Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I personally go for it for not technical reasons because A, it's gorgeous. That deep, rich color just makes me want to have a bite of something. I am so drawn to that color. Um, and then secondary, um, I, I've read that people say the flavor they think is softer than, you know, regular unsweetened cocoa. I The flavor totally works with my palate. I find it to be a nice chocolate flavor. And I usually, if I'm using it often, my recipe will have another layer of chocolate in it, whether that's chocolate chips or however that's coming in. So I think it's really glorious. I think everyone should use it. <laughs> and now they know how. <laughs> yeah. but, but I do think that like, it's just, I don't know. I really wanted everyone to be sitting at home and having that cookie craving and not be like, damn it. I don't have this Dutch processed cocoa. Totally. So if they have Hershey's, like just, you know, from the grocery store, Hershey's cocoa, they could still totally make the recipe, right? That's what I'm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But if you want that dark, dark, deep color, then you need to go the extra mile and get the, the dark, dark cocoa. Just so glorious. Excellent. Thank you for getting nerdy with us. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for inviting me for an hour of nerdiness. I'm into it. Oh, good. Well, it's it's our favorite thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. We just, I mean, I could we could talk to you all day. I know. I could talk to you guys all day. Amanda, the next time I come to LA, I'd love to meet you. Please, please. Yeah, let me know. And I'm happy to drive and, and find you wherever. That'd be awesome. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, you guys, thanks for thinking of me. This has been really fun. Be sure to subscribe to Flower Hour on iTunes or SoundCloud. And if you're enjoying your time with us, leave us a review. We'd appreciate it. 